a listener production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy, good people. Welcome along to episode 172 of the Howie Games, part A, featuring a remarkable, remarkable person by the name of Harry Garside. Now, Harry... Harry is a boxer, but Harry defies every single stereotype you could have about boxing and boxers. Do you win from the blue yeah! Harry is just 25 years of age, but he is a very wise head on young shoulders. A couple of hours with Harry left me asking myself questions about how I'm living my life and what I should look at changing, just what I should be doing to change things up a bit. Only a short intro for this episode, though, because I am that keen for you to get your ears around life according to Harry Garside, a man that challenges himself every single day. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Welcome to the Howie Games, Olympic bronze medalist, man about town and now a cool cat that lives in Bondi who's got me rattled technically because he's arrived and I wasn't quite ready. Harry Garside, welcome to the Howie Games. Great to meet you in person, mate. How are you going? Yeah, very well. Thank you so much for having me on. This is um, one of my favourite podcast shows. So Thank you. Yeah, been a, uh, been a fan for a while, so honoured to be a guest. I hear a lot on this podcast about being grateful and I actually feel full of gratitude at the moment because I've come in here and I, I'm going to commentate a test match tomorrow. I love cricket. I'm in a beautiful hotel having a chat with a bloke that fascinates me. And I just had a feeling as I was coming in here and I was a bit rattled because the plane was late and I was trying to get set up that life is pretty good. Um, gratitude is a good thing. And I'm feeling it at the moment having a chance to chat with you right now. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I actually, um, from this year, for the whole year, I'm gonna, I do these little alarms. I, I hope one doesn't go off during this podcast. But I do these alarms and one of them is thoughts. There's about... I reckon about 20 alarms throughout the day and each one's a little bit different. But um, one of them's thoughts. And it's like if I ever catch myself in a negative thought while the alarm goes off or in the hours between the two alarms, I have to change it to something that I'm grateful for. So it actually happened when I was driving here. Oh. It went off and I was like very frustrated. I couldn't find a park. It's a beautiful Coogee, summer, Coogee, beautiful summer day. Or um, and I was obviously a little bit frustrated, mate, but um, that alarm went off and I had to change it to, to something that I was grateful for. And I was just grateful that I was driving down and I could see the ocean and living yeah. in a spot like this. You mean, and I'm grateful that everyone else, including myself, is enjoying this uh, beautiful summer's day. So. so how often do the alarms go off in the day? Uh, so there's probably 20, 20 to 25 alarms um, and each one's a little bit different. Um, so, yeah, like scattered you know, every maybe hour, 45 minutes or something like that. So yeah. and, and just if, if you're having a negative thought, so if, if you're thinking positively, you just push on. But if you've got a negative thought, right, it's time to think of something positive. Yeah, and, and obviously as humans, I think we're hardwired to think about the negative for survival. So there will always be between the – there's probably three thoughts alarms, which is specific to that one, the negative thoughts. Um, so there, there would 100% most likely be a negative thought within that time bracket right. that I um, will need to change, um, say, something you had a fight with your partner or you're thinking about the future and um, just trying to change that attitude. And, um, yeah, I think that was, for me at the Olympics, it was probably the thing that I lost before I got in the ring because of the negative thoughts. So if I can um, 
if I can change it a little bit over the, the course, then I think I'll be a better boxer and a better person. I'll come back to what those thoughts were when we, when we get to your boxing journey. A lot of positivity in the room because you have just come from, I reckon, my favourite place on the east coast of Australia, <laughs> Crescent Head. Now, if people haven't been, this is the, what, what was your experience in Crescent Head? Like, I, I go there for the surf, but great pub, mm. great uh, bowls club there as well. You get a good palmer in there if you need to, great caravan pub. What were you doing in Crescent? It was my second time there. Was so it? I was there a couple of years ago um, on New Year's Day. Um, coincidentally, it's the same day that I was there uh, this year, but it was um, it's just an amazing place. I had to um, show my partner. She's never she's never camped before, and I grew up camping. So oh, it's your first camping trip? First camping trip. So are I you still up, together now? <laughs> yeah, we are only just. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, I set up a swag in the middle of nowhere, um, in, in the middle of a bush, um, um, and in Crescent somewhere. It was about 10 minutes out of town. But, um, Down I just the ha- Point Plummer Road? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So I just had to um, I had to show her Crescent. I, it was one of my favourite beaches in Australia. So I, um, I'm yet to do WA. I've heard there's some beautiful beaches over there, but Crescent Indeed. on the East Coast is by far my favourite. How, how did you both go with the camping? Did you did you meet a middle ground? It's not an easy thing camping. <laughs> it's not. It's not. She um, I give it to her. She's tough as nails. She is tough as nails, and she's very adaptable. And 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 it was it was a beautiful experience. I can tell she much prefer. She was saying she couldn't go to sleep. So I, I'm I'm very easy. I could sleep on concrete, mate. But um. Yeah, she was saying she she couldn't get to sleep till about twelve. I was asleep by ten. I'm thinking how good. And she's thinking she was she was telling me in the morning she's having all these thoughts like this is why humans created houses. <laughs> she was having all those thoughts. She finally got to sleep, and then she uh, she woke up pretty late for her. So it was um it was a good experience. Where did you dine in Crescent, or did you do camp cooking? No, we uh, we dined. I'm not much of a cook, Howie. Um, I like to think I am, but right. it's very basic. Well, was it at the pub or at the bowls club, the little cafe, the bakery? What did you do? So we actually got there pretty late, so there wasn't much open. We went to the bakery in the morning. morning. It is fantastic. Elite. Yeah, Elite my, bakery. my partner actually said it was her favourite bakery. Very bakery good bakery. She's ever been to, so big statement from her. Um, but we went to the, the Chinese restaurant in the oh, country club. Yeah, oh, it was okay. the only thing open. Oh, the country club. Yeah, only thing open. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned when you walked in here that you've only – recently moved to Bondi for love, which is a beautiful thing. And you said to me, oh, um, even though you're 25, as we get, you know, when you're 10 and 12, you make friends like that. And you said it took you a while to sort of find your crew here in Bondi. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, obviously, as a 25-year-old, a lot of the people I grew up with, what are they doing on the weekend? They're, they're usually going out to a pub. They're experiencing mm. life as a 20-year-old, and, and I totally get that. But as an athlete, you mean, I very, very rarely drink. I very rarely go out. Um, I very rarely eat bad food. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little bit challenging and, and, and to make new friends. And thankfully, though, I've been really grateful over the last sort of four months. There was probably about five, six-month period where I was like, I was getting a bit lonely, mate. Like, yeah, the only person I felt I had was my partner and mm. a couple of others, but finally- Which puts pressure on that relationship as well when, you, when you're all invested there with no one else to, to be a circuit breaker. Yeah, very true. And I found, found myself that she was my girlfriend. She was also the person that my, my psychologist at times, she was the person who I was bouncing things off. So it was, it was challenging for, for both of us, but thankfully over the last sort of three, four months, I've really um, connected with some beautiful people. And I found that there's not many people in my 20s that I'm mates with. A lot of them are in their 30s, 40s, they've got kids, but they're very active um, and, and they're very out there and, and, and really good people. So I'm, I'm pretty grateful that, I, that I've met them. And I, um, I think 2023 for myself, I'll finally start to feel like this is my home. I hope so. Well, what do you look for in potential new friends? I have this, um, I joke with my wife, um, end of the year, around Christmas time, 
she always says, right, so who was your friend of the year? So it's someone you've met during the year that you hadn't met before that made a real impact on you. And this year, I need to tell them, it's a fella called Paul Raff. Just a local bloke, met him, but on my wave length, he owns a peanut butter factory. Um, just a good local dude. So what do you look for in, in a potential new friend? That's a, that's a great question. I've never really thought about it, but I think it's a feeling, you know. Um, but at the same time, they've got to have this similar characteristics to myself. They've got to love outdoors. They've got to uh, be very active. And, and, and you mean, obviously, I train a lot. I love mm. I love physical exercise and moving my body, but just also just a genuine person. And, um, you mean, I feel like I grew up, I wouldn't say it's country, but I grew up, you mean, an hour from the city, very working class. And, and I've found throughout my travels, I travel a lot when I was a kid, so... I found throughout my travels, country towns, what they say is what they mean. Mm. And in city towns, it's a little bit different. You mean people uh, have their own agenda, they've got their own goggles on for their own life, and that's totally fine. I get it. Um, but I found a lot of country people are just very genuine, very genuine, very authentic. So I try and find that within people. And I've actually met some people who are local Bondi, um, Clove Valley people. So they've been here for, for 40 years. They're the locals before the, yeah. the massive flux yeah. of people yeah. and money come here. So really genuine and... Um, what they say is what they mean, which I think is a very valuable thing. I love what you say about the country. I grew up in a small country town and there's definitely um, a different attitude mm-hmm. to, to folks from the country. I so much want to talk to you about training, but just let's first touch on, so I've had three pro fights. You've, we'll get to the Commonwealth Games and the Olympics and congratulations, by the way, what you did in both those, but three pro fights, you've got three wins under your belt. Is there a next fight? Like, are you training to fight now? Yeah, so I've um, it's I'm pretty grateful we get to both do amateurs and professionals. So I'm yep. actually going for um, two tournaments in Europe um, in in February. Right. Um, in, the, in the amateur team. So the first one's in Hungary, and then the next one's in Bulgaria. Right. And then um, I come back, and two weeks later, I fight professionally. So it's um, so you can you can go back and forth. So previously. You compete at the Olympics and when you turn pro, you can't come back. But now you can go back and forth, can you? I didn't realise that. Yeah, you can finally do it. But it's it's one of those things. It is like long distance running and, and short distance running. It's like they're very different. Right. Um, so three rounds, you fight over a tournament, you lose your out, very, very similar to tennis. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of those – you're very fast-paced amateur boxing. You're probably not going in there to hurt people as much. It's not you're not putting on a show. You're just trying to win. It's very competitive. Um, where professional boxing is is 10, 12 rounds. Um, it's you're in there. It's a, it's a prize. It's prize with prize fighting. So yep. you, you're in there just sort of I don't know put on a show, and it's a bit more of a spectacle. And you have to train differently for the for the for the. You know, obviously, twelve rounds compared to three rounds. Yeah, there is a there is a difference within training. So I'll definitely um, most of the amateur team, or probably all of the amateur amateur team, besides myself, throughout those those two tournaments, um, they'll be doing after say they lose or say they um, you know will do sparring, and they'll probably only do four rounds because it's a three round fight. Where I will do six to ten rounds um, in those in those times where I'm able to do sparring and not competing, just just because I know I've got to do a professional fight in a month's time. So It'd be interesting to see. I've never done it before, but it'd be interesting to see how how I go with with, with sort of mixing it up because I actually think the greatest athletes are the ones that can adapt the most, the ones that they're not just set in a certain way. They can mix up the way they fight. They can change. And, um, yeah, that's why I think he's someone like a Michael Phelps, one of the best swimmers ever. He could do almost any distance realistically. So, um, yeah, that's what I want to try and do and and it'll, it'll be very interesting. And I think it's important for me because I've got to make a decision if I try for the Olympics um, try to make the Olympic team um, in 2024. 
um, or I focus on my professional career. So I think this will be the, the sort of decider. And obviously when you fight professionally, you're still representing your country, but I saw the pride that you had in representing Australia at the Commonwealth Games and the Olympics. What's it, what's it mean when you're going out and fighting for your country and your countrymen as opposed to yourself with your country involved? Yeah, it's a completely different mindset. Is it? Um, yeah, and that's something that I've really struggled with in the sense of a lot of athletes now, uh, they talk about purpose. And I'm reading a book right now. Um, what's it called? The All Blacks one. I forget what it's called. Legacy. Yeah. I think that's what it's called. Fantastic book. I'm about you mean, two chapters in. But it's it's pretty much about purpose, the, the bit that I'm on right now and how important it is for an athlete. You mean, the days that are hard, the times where you don't get the results you want. If you don't have a strong enough purpose, you'll probably will stay down or you won't try again. So for me in my Olympic journey, my purpose was seated when I was a kid. I mean, it's so easy and I was so present and I was so aware of what it was. Grant Hackett swimming the, the 1,500-meter final, 2004, I'm seven years old, amazed by that moment. Gold to Australia. Grant Hackett wins. Um, John Aloisi, Mark Swartzer in 2005. Oh, it's great save. save again by It's a huge save. Wonderful save. Here's Aloisi for a place in the you World Cup. For us. He's yeah. scored. Uh, Matthew Mitchum, uh, Steve Hooker in 2008, moments like this really sort of built this foundation and this purpose that I just wanted to be just like them. Um, and I've turned professional and, of course, it's great. I'm earning money yep. and I want to be world champion, but I'm just trying my best to um, to latch myself to a purpose. You know, what am I doing it for? And it needs to be bigger than myself. And um, I'm fully not not locked on a purpose yet, but that's um, that's one of my goals in the first three, four months of this year is to be locked in because the times where it's hard, the times where it's challenging in my professional career, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty, mm. um, you need to have a strong enough why or else you, mean, you probably won't, you won't strive as hard or you won't want it as much. It's funny you mentioned the Olympians. Um, we've been really lucky on this show six months ago. Um, it was getting a bit beyond me, the podcast, to take on a guy called Tommy Dullard who I used to work with at Fox Footy, but you ran across at the Commonwealth Games. He was working for Seven um, and he told me a story that you were, oh, I can't believe Ian Thorpe's working on the coverage and, and Tommy said, come and meet him and he took you to, to meet Thorpe and he was saying that you, you had posters on, on, your, on your, I think he said, Tommy told me on your roof at home of Thorpe. Yeah, so for about like four or five years prior to the um, the 20, it was after the 2016 Olympics, I failed to make the team and I really, I was just obsessed. I'm, I'm obsessed. I'm very much like that extremist mm. and, you should have seen my room. I really struggled to bring people in. I'm a bloody 20-year-old boy and I've got <laughs> stuff that eight-year-old boys have. Like what, what, what? Like just photos of, of all my my, my honoured um, favourite Olympians, um, not just Australian, mostly were Australian, but there was a lot of Michael Phelps, um, some of the greatest athletes of all time, Usain Bolt, <laughs> just on my roof. And then there was also lots of Australian flags. There was inspirational quotes. There was... I had a fake medal made up. I um, also purchased one before the 2020 Olympics, a fake gold medal that looked exactly like the wow. gold medal. Um, yeah, just anything I could to, to, to be obsessed. And every time I woke up, I mean, I was jumping out of bed because I know what I'm doing it for. So um, to see Ian Thorpe, the greatest athlete we've ever had, uh, and shake his hand, I was just very honoured. It's funny you say that about as a 20-year-old. We were talking about making new friends. So if you if meet a new fellow at school or, or a girl comes around or whatever and they, they go into your room, it might be, ooh, what's this Harry customer all about? Where's he at in the world? Well, he's an eight-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> Boxing, where's it start? So so you uh, some Eastern suburbs, Lilydale way in, in Melbourne. Why boxing? Yeah, I... I've, I think I didn't really know when I was a teenager, but 
um, I have two answers for this is I watch too many Rocky films, which is 100% correct. What's your favourite? Uh, the fourth by fourth. far. Yeah, third, be- third one's really good, but the fourth one's amazing when too. When he's training in Russia, oh. the montage and and uh, Drago's high tech. Oh, so and, good. And he's out in the log chop cabin. Oh, oh, chop yes. wood. Tell a- me that's what you do in training, <laughs> <Yeah>. Harry. <laughs> it's an, hey, um, an amazing film. We watch that so much. A big part of my story. I'm the youngest of three boys yep. and I um, obviously grew up in a place called Luda, very working class, um, a lot of men in my life and I felt very different to them. They were always, my brothers especially, they were out the back playing with dad in the shed and I was in touch with my mum and what my mum was doing and, and my mum would go shopping, I'd go with my mum. I was very much a mama's boy. So for me, you mean, I felt a little bit different. I felt I didn't get much respect from my dad or my two brothers and I started boxing purely to prove I was a man. You mean, I obviously didn't know that at the age of nine. At, at what age? At nine? At the age of nine. So how do you start boxing at age nine? Yeah, I had to ask my parents where, where a boxing gym was and, and mum really didn't want me to do it, but my dad, he, he, he was all about it. Um, and, yeah, they just did a bit of research, I think, or I think a bit of word of mouth. They, they knew a gym in Lurdale and um, went down there, met my coach, who's still my coach today, Brian Levere. Still he's your a, coach? Yeah, he no, obviously is in Melbourne, story. but I, I love him to bits. He will always be – he's like my granddad. He's obviously not blood-related, but <laughs> love him to bits. He's, he's 80 years old uh, this year. Um, exceptional man, but he. Um, I walked into the gym at the age of nine and, and just fell in love with him and fell in love with the sport. Why? Why I fell in love with him? I think it's um, – I've really pondered this. I think it's really important for young people to receive positive love and positive affirmations from people who are outside of their family mm-hmm. because I don't know if I – You're obviously when you're younger, you, you, your parents most likely will give you a lot of love, give you a lot of attention and that's kind of their role. But when someone's doing it who's not in your family and you, you build this sort of special connection with coaches, teachers, people who are outside of your family – I just feel it was a it was a different connection because it's not blood related and and for him he made me it's very similar to Mike Tyson and Gus Tomato yes um, he really made me feel special he would say stuff like your footwork is amazing um, you're going to be world champion yeah you're ex- just exceptional and I would always walk out feeling amazing but I, and I just found myself wanting to constantly impress him and, and make him happy and, and also make myself happy because he helped me build my confidence so that's the reason why I fell in love with him and why did you fall in love with boxing. It was just, it's probably the most meditative state. Obviously, I didn't know this when I was nine years old, but when I'm in there, I, I have a lot of voices in my head. I'm, I'm, my, my brain is wired to just sink wildly. I, and when I was younger, I, I found it a little bit harder to sleep and, and would, would, would think a lot. But then when I walked into the boxing gym and you do a hard two-hour session, yep. you, by the time you get, get home as a nine-year-old kid, you fall straight asleep. And I love the beauty of that. And obviously, when I'm inside that ring, the movement, the the art form of it and it's the most primitive I think place we can go as humans in this day and age you know we're not animals anymore mm. we like to think we're not animals but we to get in there and to, to fight against another man or another person it's it's a beautiful thing and I think um, to do it in a controlled manner I think you really exercise something that humans don't get to exercise anymore that primitive natural animal instinct type state and do you think it did what you were thinking you needed to do in front of your brothers and your dad Absolutely. Did it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I still catch myself um, around my mates or like the people I grew up with or playing a bit of a role. But it's um, I've definitely found over the last 18 months, since the Olympics especially, that I can be myself and people will love me for that and people will also not like me for that. So, um, yeah, it's it's it definitely – I think in my area growing up I was – 
one of the only persons that I people that I knew that did boxing. So it gave me this sense of being unique, mm. being special, being different. And when people think of boxers, most of the time they think of tough, you mean masculine type people. Yep. And I didn't feel like that on the inside, but then when people you mean had that idea of me, it made me feel good. So of course it did what I wanted it to. Um, and then only in the last few years have I been able to show a bit more of my natural, authentic side, I guess. So what was your first actual fight like you train and then when's your first fight at what age so the laws in victoria i was 12 right um, and 12 yeah i'll never i'll never forget it and I, be um, fair to say pardon the language you're not exactly built like a brick shit house so <laughs> yeah. i don't know what you were like at 12 <laughs> harry but you you fight at 60 kilos don't you 60 yeah 60 kilos yeah. and how tall are you uh, oh, just under six foot. Okay. <clears throat> so you have to keep light. So, so you're going as a 12-year-old? Yeah, it was um, – I had all the gear. I was – every Christmas I'd just ask for boxing stuff. Every Christmas, birthday, I'd just ask for boxing stuff for, for parents and they would always provide some amazing things. And I remember looking over and this is this is a great lesson that I learned at the age of 12, yeah. never judge a book by its character. Right. And I – um by its cover, sorry. Yep. And I, I looked at the guy who I was fighting. He was wearing runners and he, he looked a bit sort of like podgy. I'm thinking, I'm going to I'm gonna bash this guy. You know, I'm totally <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling great. Like I've done all the work. <laughs> I got in there, mate, and he punched the absolute sorry for my language, the shit out of Did me. He? So, yeah, it was um, it was an amazing. I had tears rolling down my face in the third round, two eight counts put on me. Finally got through it. Luckily got through it. Um, but, yeah, it was just a lesson to, to learn. Huh. Never judge a book by its cover. So, so um, one fight, one loss? One fight, one loss. I um, I lost 10 out of my first 18 fights. I was pretty average. But just um, as I mentioned, my coach and, and many other reasons, I kept going back. And I think that's really important for, for people. If you love something, it doesn't really matter about the results. So you, you just want to do it. 10 of your first 18 fights. What was your first win? Uh, my third fight was my first win. Um, and then, yeah, sort of staggered win, loss, loss, win. And, and, and what does the feeling of winning the first time do to you? No, it was amazing because it was quite humiliating. I had a lot of my friends, um, my brother's mates in my where, first like, fight. Where, where are you fighting? So it was in Brunswick in, okay. in Melbourne. Yeah, it was just like a um, – it's called the Calabria Club in Brunswick. Oh, I know the Calabria yeah, Club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So they used to Old host, school. Yeah, old school. They used to host the fights under, under the ground. And um, So the yeah. first one, all your crew went? Yeah, all my crew. It was just – it was so embarrassing. I actually had my, my grade five crush there. she come along oh, as well. What and was her name? Brianna. Oh, she was no. there, yeah. Um, You've got smacked in front of Brianna. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, beaten no. up, mate. But it's all part of it. she all, was there. Exactly right. Um, so I had my family. Everyone was there. But just, just one of those things, I think, for young people, those like I felt the embarrassment, the humiliation, um, but it's – it's what you do when you lose or what you do yep. after, even when you win. The, the next decision you make is it sort of shows what you like as a person. So, I, um, yeah, I, I got up and I was at the gym the next day. Win, lose or draw, I'm always at the gym the next day. So, um, yeah, and then finally got better and better. And, and the winning feeling, what, what does it mean to you whether you're 12 or 23? It's interesting. Andre Agassi, I just finished reading his book. Open. Fantastic. I think the best sports book I've ever read. It's fantastic. He um, really articulates things really well, but he has this, I'm going to butcher it, but it was winning never feels as good as losing feels bad. Right. Yeah, and I, and I truly agree with that. It's it's an amazing feeling. And, of course, the, the big moments like the Commonwealth Games, the, the, the biggest win that I've ever had. Um, yeah, to, to have that feeling, that elation in that moment, it's, it's like ecstasy just getting getting jammed into your body and then to watch you know, in the flag be, be – um, 
you know, pulled up and, and the national anthem being played and having all my family and friends there, amazing moments. Um, but the times that you lose, oh, that's just like, it's the worst feeling. It rips a part of your soul out and it's because you care so much. Yeah. And 2020, that was probably the worst loss that I've had, the, the most that I've felt. But I look back now and when I was in it, I wanted nothing more than just to get out of that moment. It was the worst. You know, but I look back now and it's so amazing that us as humans can care that much. I'm sure you can vouch when yep. you see your, your kid yes. triumph or fail, like that that pain that I'm sure you feel. Um, yeah, so it's it's an amazing thing that we can care that much about things. We'll get to 2020 or 2021 as it was, but obviously you're talking about um, Tokyo. So. Uh, you, you're progressing along, but you're also you're a plumber, yeah. So you have a trade. Very, I'm very average at that. Well, but. see, this is this is my question because I read that you're a plumber. Like, uh, you know, if 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 here at the Crown Plaza we sprung a leak now, can you fix it or not? I'd probably call my brother, who's a qualified <laughs> plumber, plumber, and he would tell me what to do. So right. that that's, that was the story of my life when I was a plumber. I worked with him. So you did. You were on the tools. Yeah, I was on the tools. So I did about two and a half years, and then did um, you like it? Oh, I did. It was it was nice to work with my brother. Um, I I work with my dad as a roof tiler when I left school. So he does a tiler. Roof tiler that is yeah. a hard job. Yeah, I and he's still he's he's fifty fifty four fifty five, and he's still yes, on the he's roof. Back. Oh, <laughs> and he's a big man, my right. dad. Um, but yeah, he's he's just one of the hardest workers I've ever met. So. Um, yeah, I finished school and my philosophy was if it works for boxing, it works for me. Okay. I won my first nationals finally after failing a few times in 20, uh, 2015 in year 12. And then I finished school and boxing started to take off. And if it worked for boxing, it worked for me. And my parents are very big on once you once you turn 18, you provide for yourself. So um, they taught me many great, amazing lessons. And, and I worked with dad for, for close to a year. And then I found a job uh, with with my brother as a plumber who luckily it's just a little bit easier on the body, plumbing compared to roof tiling. Roof mm. tiling, you're out in the heat or you're, you're carrying, it's just hard labor. So um, grateful I got the opportunities with both my dad and my brother. And, and, and yeah, as I said, I'm a very average plumber. But <laughs> so, And with your, with your tradies, um, the local survey where I am uh, caters for the for the tradies, and there are some incredibly fit, healthy, well fed tradies out there. But I've seen some of the tradies there in, in the V's and the Dim Sims. Were you bringing a nice standard of cuisine to your plumbing jobs? Or being a boxer, surely you went a triple Dim Sim and. Uh, <laughs> 600 mil milk and a V to get you going through the day. Yeah, there's definitely times where I wanted to be like them, but I was um, a lot of the time, 99% of the time, I was on the tuna and rice. So as I mentioned before, Howie, I'm not much of a cook, but um, yeah, just just very basic. Rice, tuna, sometimes chicken. Um, and is yeah, that you veggies. now? Is that you now? Like are you – if if 100% is – completely dedicated to what you eat and 0% is you don't give a stuff, where are you, do you think, as an athlete? Yeah, I would say I would say probably about 80, 85%, to 85%. be honest. Yeah, I know my body really well. Yeah. Um, I, I've never – I'm the type of person who I – like I obsess and, and I found myself when making weight prior to the Commonwealth Games, it was probably one of the hardest weight cuts that I had done. 61.02 kilograms for gas And I'm pretty lean, so it but, was – But um, naturally, in normal life, if you're a plumber, you'd be – I think you'd be pretty similar to me when you'd be sort of mid seventies. I reckon. I've never seen over seventy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, or maybe. But 70. that's because you've been living a dedicated lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I probably just like was normal training as much. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I'd be uh, definitely mid to low. Um, yeah. Seventies. But so you're sixty-seven. You got to get to sixty. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was just one of those things. I found myself. This is how obsessive I got. I found myself at times getting up 
walking to the toilet and I'd be thinking how many calories am I burning walking to the toilet? Like I was obsessive jumping on the obsessive. jumping on the scales 20 times a day every time after you drank or ate. Like it was it was a little bit too much and I found myself that if I start counting calories and start counting, you mean know, measuring my food, I become really obsessive. So I've got to also know what what works for me and what doesn't work for my sort of mental stability and mental health. Yeah, um, yeah, and that the stuff like that when I'm obsessing about numbers and stuff like that, I really um I really find myself sort of deteriorating negatively. So and how hard is it to get to sixty? Uh, I find it easy now. My right. bo- I know my body really well. Okay. Yeah, just through years of experience, I and guess. So then you, you weigh in. A lot of people don't realise this. So you get down to your 60, you weigh in. That's the only time. So that's normally 24 hours before the fight, yeah? So in amateurs, yep. Um, so that's Olympics and Com Games, you weigh in the day you fight. The day every, you fight. Every day you fight, which right. is probably the challenge. So as opposed to a pro where then you can go and have three bowls of pasta and build it up. Yeah. So throughout the entire Olympic campaign, or I think that you fought maybe six times in the Commonwealth Games? Uh, five. Five, five times. Yeah. You have to – so you can't load up. Can't load up, yeah. So it's um, it's like knowing that fine line. And that's probably a big difference huh. between professional and amateur boxing. So what would you fight at in your three pro fights? What are you, what are you weighing in at when you fight? So when I – so you weigh in 30 hours before you fight, yep. or roughly. And um, I, I jumped on the scales when I left my house, so probably two hours before the fight. And I was, I think I was 67 and I weigh in at 61. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, six kilos in 30 hours. What's your, sound, what, what, are you, what are you having before your fight? What's your last meal? Oh, it changes every time, but I um, always like to have um, a muesli bar. It's a bit of a tradition. I have a muesli <laughs> bar and I have this, I have lollies with me, yep. but I never touch them for some reason. Right. But I just, I just buy them and they're just in my bag. So I um, usually eat them after the fight, a couple of them. Um, but yeah, it's always a muesli bar and I sip on a Gatorade and, and sip on my water. So it's, um, yeah, it's just a bit of a tradition. It's more of a routine, no superstitions. I've, I've d- definitely fought without it. Um, but yeah, just like I think it's super important to have a routine and know what you're doing and, and and also if things happen which often happens in every athlete's life you know yep. you, sometimes the fight gets pulled before you or it gets stopped and you have to go in earlier or you need to be able to adapt really well and i find the best athletes are the ones that can adapt the best um definitely throughout my life listening to a lot of olympians and mm. stuff like that so life as disciplined as you are there's positives and there's negatives. How, how, how do you steer through a life with such a level of discipline where you're actually thinking about calories when you're going to the loo? Yeah, it's, it's – Is it a cross to bear or not? Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse, yeah. to be honest. It's um, it's definitely – I found – I've never been in a long-term relationship, mate. This is the first time that I've ever – I've been dating my partner now for 18 months. It's not a super long term, but it's the longest I've ever been in. So, um, and, and it's a mirror. When you're in a relationship, it's a mirror and it's something that – I've found a lot of the things that have helped me be successful, the obsessiveness and the um, the extreme uh, mindset and the highs and lows of sport, a lot of the things that have helped me be successful um, also are a detriment to my mental health at times and to my relationships and my friendships and my family relationships. So just um, I think it comes with maturity. I'm only 25, Howie, but mm. um, slowly but surely I'm, I'm starting to navigate like understanding how I take off that cap from being an athlete, a high-performing athlete who really cares about results and cares about being the best, um, but then also being a good human when I leave and not making sure I'm, I'm not being mean to the ones who mean the most, my mm. family, my friends, or, or my partner. So um, it's been a it's been a beautiful journey the last 18 months. Definitely had its challenges, but um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. I think coming of age, you start realizing these things. You mean like you can be a high-performing athlete 
and you can also maintain relationships and maintain friendships as well. You've, you've spoke about your mum and your dad and, and your brothers and part of becoming a, a, a high-profile person is um, various parts of your story come out and I've heard you speak about, you, you spoke about one brother you worked with, I, I've heard you speak about another your brothers who's had a, a tough run in life. Do you mind me asking you about that? No, absolutely, mate. So can you explain to me his situation and what effect that has or hasn't had on you and your family? Yeah, it's it's actually really good right now. So, like, if you asked me this two years ago, I would have been probably bawling my eyes out. Um, it's re- it really impacted my family for the last five years. And and last Christmas was amazing, mate. He was finally back. Um, he he's out of rehab at the moment temporarily. Um, he sort of left prison, went to rehab. He was in rehab for about ten months, and then he um yeah he got to spend Christmas with his family, which was which was amazing. And after the year my mum's had, she got diagnosed with breast cancer, and Sorry, yeah. uh, that's right, um she's totally fine. Um and then, yeah, just to just to have him there, the whole family after five years finally together. So the, the three boys and, and my parents, I could just see mum's face <laughs> glowing. So uh, he's really good right now. He um yeah he's just. To, to go through that and me personally, I feel super similar to him. I've always had a very addictive personality and I'm addicted to things that are socially accepted, but they cause just as much pain. You mean being successful and, and having that drive, mm. that addiction to success and, and validation and stuff like that, it causes just as much pain and misery, but it's, it's socially accepted. People celebrate you, people tap you on the back, but in order for me to be successful, it's very isolating, very lonely. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm super obsessive and, and I care about things a lot. So it's, um, yeah, it's interesting just just seeing a lot of myself in him and hating him for that because there's a few things inside myself that I'm trying to manage. Um, but then now to see how much growth he's put in over the last five years or over the last probably year more so, um, just very proud of him. And he's um, he's finally back in the family and, and we're always there. We never turn our back on him, but... People in those situations, you I mean, it's one of those times where like you need to set a boundary yourself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's just challenging and to see see how that affects mum and dad, it's probably the worst for them, yeah. This is one of my alarms, mate. Alarm? Yeah. All right. <laughs> so what's the alarm telling us? What have we got? So this is um this is called King Energy. So right. Oh, I'll explain it on the Okay. This, this is called King Energy and this one is um I close my eyes. Yep. And I just say, say a few positive things to myself. You mean, I am enough. I am world champion. I am worthy of love. I'm powerful. It mixes every time, but there's a few similar ones all the time. And then I close my eyes and I vision the life that I want to see in five, 10 years. So I see myself holding a belt. I can feel it in my body. Um, and then I also vision myself with family, with kids. Um, you mean, looking out over a beach, similar, very similar to Kuji. So um, we'll pause it now. Is that all right if I just quickly do it? Yeah, Thanks, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, mate. No, you don't need to apologise. It's very. Um, I couldn't look at you because it felt too intimate to, to to look at what you were doing. So, I'll get back to the, the prison discussion. So, you're obviously a believer that if you have in your mind where you want to go, mm. that my wife's a big believer in this, that you can get yourself there. 
Yeah, it's um, it probably I'm a type of person. My mum, she's a medium, so she talks to dead people. She's very spiritual, always has been. And dad's a roof tiler, so he's more right wing. Mum's a medium. Yeah, yeah. So growing up, she was um always into tarot cards and and right. very sort of crystals and stuff like that, and just a bit of holy dooly sort of stuff. And I was a bit skeptical at the start, but also no, my mum's not a liar. I um, she fully believes it, and it's a beautiful thing if you <laughs> believe something. So I'm a type of person, and one of the things I love most about myself is there's really not anything on this earth that I wouldn't try at least once. Um, and yeah, it's 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 one of those things, I don't know if it actually is scientifically proven, but there was a moment for me, and this has probably strengthened it for me. Every time I did this, I did this prior to the Olympics. Every time I did this, I could see myself on the podium, but I could never see myself in the middle. And I'd always close my eyes and, and I, sorry, I'd open my eyes and I would shake it off and I'd go, come on, like really get there, see yourself in the middle. And after you know, maybe a couple of minutes, I could finally get there and see myself in the middle. But it was amazing that I could see myself on the podium, but it was not in the middle. And sure. and I ended up obviously receiving a bronze. So um, yeah, it's, it's that sort of strengthened it for me. And if you want to envision things, if you want to... It's like once you start visualizing it, I think you sort of you gravitate towards that. It's like you want a, a Range Rover. You would be driving and you'll see Range Rovers everywhere. Yeah, This is the way the human mind works. So if you visualize something enough, I think you bring that. It obviously takes work and consistency and stuff like that as well, but you'll bring that into your life, I personally think. But you need to give yourself credit because at age 25, I was having this thought this morning um, about there's a few things happening and all right, right, what I want out of this situation. Like at, at age 25, if you'd said to me, visualise where you want to be in 10 years, I, I wouldn't have been able to do the process because I wouldn't have been able to tell you. So so I, I think you'd be credited the fact. And obviously it's a, a simpler path for an athlete because there are set out goals. But to know, to have something at age 25 that you can visualise on, I think you're a step ahead of most in the game. I appreciate that, Howie. Yeah, it's um, and I'm sure it will probably change you yes. know, when I have kids and stuff like that. But at the moment, the visions are certain things, and um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a really nice feeling to to do that. And some days I don't want to do it. Some days I don't feel connected to it. Um, you know, but it's I think discipline is doing the things you don't want to do, but do it like you love it. Mm. Um, and doing it on the days where you don't want to do it. So it's just just consistency. And I felt really connected to that one. And um, sometimes you can really see your your future. You can really see the things that you want and other times you can't. So it's it's a beautiful thing and, and I'll continue to do it. It'd be an interesting process though because it'll be like a mental journal because at some stage you'll wake up and you'll do it and the picture will be different in your head and you, you'll realise your growth as a person because you, you will go if you continue to do it from your life from wanting to t- stand on the top step of a podium to wanting to be X. It'd be, mm. it'd be a nice journey through your life. Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing at the moment. Um, I mean, I never really wanted kids, but at the moment I can visualize myself and it's the future that I want and I can see kids in it. So it's um it's a beautiful thing and um I don't know when that time will come, Howie, but I'm sure it'll be sometime in my thirties most likely. But um yeah, I'm I'm sort of really excited for that. I, I, I think it's it's one of the most beautiful things we can do as humans is, yes. is have kids and I'm sure Penguin and Pickle, I'm sure they um they are two beautiful kids and they bring a lot of joy to your life. They do. And some heartache, and some heartache <laughs> if they're listening. So did you go and visit your brother when he's in prison? Yeah, so me and my brother personally, we, we had a really negative relationship for, for a long time. So um, 
Yeah, there was just there was a lot of pain, a lot of misery. I found myself being his older brother at times. Mm. There was times that I saw him do some some pretty some pretty hurtful things to the people that I love, my mum and my dad. And, and um, yeah, there was just a lot of built up anger and a built up frustration. Um, why can't you just be normal? You know, what I mean? and and um, I think throughout my journey, <clears throat> I finally sort of you mature and you realise that he doesn't want to be like that. Yep. You know what I mean no one chooses that. They don't. If he if he could have if he could wake up tomorrow and you'd say one wish you mean you could be normal I think it would be to be normal to to be with my family and to be healthy um, he doesn't want to be like that and I can see it in his eyes and and I just had to sort of realize that that he's battling some things and I never went to prison because we were in a negative state but okay. um, through probably the last six months he um he got my number off my mum and he was calling me probably every three weeks so and I was living in Sydney so it was um it was nice to reconnect with him over the phone and, and good on him for mm. I don't know reaching out the olive branch himself um, and that sort of for me showed a lot of growth and, and I was just proud of him for doing that. Back to Harry in a moment. Next up on the show, and what a privilege to have this man join us, the 47th Test Captain of Australia, Pat Cummins. Now, Pat made his Test debut at age 18 after three games, only three games of Sheffield Shield cricket, and Pat, well, he walked into a dressing room full of his idols. Finished school, had no you know, big aspirations in cricket, but nothing, like, didn't think I would ever... It was a career path. Didn't even comprehend that it would be. And then within a couple of weeks, I was playing for New South Wales. I thought, oh, geez, this, like, I might not have to get a job here. And then within a couple of weeks later, I basically had an Aussie contract. And none of it really felt real. Like I felt I was going to get the tap on the shoulder and kind of be like, come on, mate, like, the jig's up. You're not come meant on. to be here, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember it wasn't until I was in the Aussie dressing room and I look around and it's whatever, it was November, and I was like, I should be in school here. Like this is school time wow. for the last 20 years, you know, 15 years. And I was like, okay, there's punter there. There's Mike Hussey there. There's Pup Clark there. There's Brad Haddon. There's Mitchell Johnson. And I was going around it all. I'm like, wow, this this is the Aussie team. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, punter presented my baggy green. And my first thought, I remember this so clearly, was, wow, like, I fooled them all, <laughs> and they can't take this back. They've given right. it like I thought up until that point. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, the jigs up. Come on, off you get. And I was like, once they give the baggy ground, I was like, wow, this is serious. That is the superstar that is Pat Cummins. Next up on the show, let's get back to Harry. Boxing. I don't make many notes, but I, I make sure I want to get this right. So we'll skip ahead a little bit. So at what stage you, you talked about your first national title at age? Uh, 18, yeah. Uh, so at this stage, do you think maybe I can make a career out of this? Uh, or be, was it in your mind since you were nine? Yeah, it was It was interesting. I think my the goalposts have always just changed and I think that always happens with, with um, the world we live in. It's just like oh, it's the if and when type mindset. You mean when I when I win that, then then I'll be complete or then I'll be, feel happy or whatever, then I'll be content. Um, for me, it was to win the state title, the Victorian state title. I finally won my first one when I was 14 yep. um, and then I tried really hard to win a nationals and I didn't get that for another four years until I was 18. Then after that, it was like, well, let's try and make the Olympics. I mean, I really wanted to make the Olympic team. I didn't make that in 2016. I finally qualified for the uh, the Commonwealth Games. And it's just constantly the goalposts are always changing. And, and um, 
I probably didn't believe that I could do something with it. Like I would always say it and I'll be training and I, and I really wanted to, but I don't think I believed it until the 2018 Commonwealth Games and to bring home a gold medal um, on home soil was, was an amazing thing. But that was probably where I started going, wow, okay, right. now I actually might be able to do this. Yeah. So when you talk about you had all the Olympians on your wall, what's it like? Like is there a kit day where you go and get your kit or does it get sent to you? The first time you whack the senior national colours on, like I always think it must be like Christmas when there's boxes of gear everywhere and you put it on for the first time. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely something that I know a lot of athletes love and and, and I'm the exact same. I, I love it. I, I look at everything and it's just – I think it's a an amazing moment, you mean, where we're all well, – I can only speak for myself, but I, I'm just a little kid, even still at the age of 25, who just love sport. And um, to, to, to be surrounded by people at the Olympic Games like Paddy Mills – um, uh, you mean? Uh, top five people I've had on the oh, show. Right? He's an amazing he, man. He should be. He should end up running this country. Oh, I actually believe that. There was he one should, moment. He should be the prime minister at some point. Yeah, there was one moment, and I pride myself on having you mean like old school values, and then being sort of quite chivalrous. And, um, and he he sort of put me to shame. You I mean I was like really had to. It was at the opening ceremony, and I was with three three of the boy boxers, including myself, and I um. We went up to Kate Campbell and Patty Mills. Like, hey, can we get a get a photo? Kate Campbell was sitting on a chair because she was competing very shortly. Yeah. And and Patty Patty was like, oh, don't, don't get up, don't get up. We can get a photo sitting down. But she got up, being the the generous yes. human that she is, and we got a photo. But I was like, in that moment, I didn't even cross my mind. Right. That's the type of man Patty Mills is. Yeah. So it's a great description. Absolutely, and he's just an exceptional human. Does a lot for obviously the community and and um, just for the country in general. I think he's he's just an exceptional man. So Commonwealth Games, five fights, as you said, you come up against the Indian, and then a split decision. So it's tight. And it, I've looked back at all your fights in the last 48 hours in between the cricket. You're wearing blue and then that's how you find out because they say, and the winner in the blue corner <laughs> and your face lights up like it's lighting up now. What, what is that moment like? To your winner from the blue corner. Uh, that, that's still to date the um, the proudest moment for me. It was bloody good. It was a, yeah, it was, it was an extremely close fight. We've um, we fought each other twice, and we've done a lot of sparring. Me, Manash Kaushik from uh, from India. Yep, we're one apiece. Right, um, one apiece. But he um, he's an exceptional fighter, and and just to get that on home soil, and and I was only twenty years old, you know, very young, and and just that elation that that. If you could bottle that moment up, like, and drink a sip a day, it would be it would be electric. But um, it was amazing, and and then to run to 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 my mates, mates from Lilydale, buddy on TV pouring beer over my head, Lilydale <laughs> 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 man, <laughs> and then um, run to the other side of the of the venue where my parents were, and just to hug them, um, all three of us were just bawling our eyes out, and it was just just amazing to be completely honest. There's, there's no other words for it. Harry Garside. Been training since he was nine years of age, and here he is with a gold medal around his neck in front of his home ground. What do you think it meant? You've talked about your mum, but what do you think it meant to your dad? Because you, you went there to prove something to him when you were nine years of age. Yeah, he's he's the the proudest dad on earth. He, um, he always wears the Team Garside jumpers. Every time I'm down in Melbourne, he's always wearing the Team Garside jumper down to Bunnings or down <laughs> to the shops. He bloody loves it. Um, but, yeah, he's just... <laughs> 
to share that moment with him um, and of course my mum as well was was just amazing and it's 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 quite interesting I've I've battled a fair bit of um, you mean it's like every parent wants their kid to be safe. Yes. Every parent wants their kid to just sort of be secure, and, and and it's like for me, I don't think they believe that I could make a living out of this, and and they're always saying just get a job or um, get a you know just get a uni degree or do something, you mean because then you'll be something safe. To fall yeah, back yeah, on. it's a se- it's a sort of secondary plan and a plan B. Um, but Arnold Schwarzenegger, I saw this quote when I was really young, and he said, "Don't have a plan B because it takes away your focus from plan A." So, and I, I agree with that, but. I think that moment was probably a moment as well where we realised, wow, my son actually might be able to do something here, and 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 it was it was it was almost like the I don't know if you ever read the Green Lights Matthew yes, McConaughey's book, it's fantastic where his brother beats his dad up, yep, and his dad gets up and it's, they shake hands and they're equals. It was like a moment like that for myself, and it was beautiful. While we're swapping books, have you read Arnold Schwarzenegger's book? I think it's called Total Recall, and oh mate, exceptional. Well, we, we talked about. Andre Agassi because he starts life as the world's best bodybuilder. So that's a book in itself. Mm. And then the next third is the world's biggest movie star, book in itself. And then the next third is being governor of California, book in itself. (laughs) Unbelievable, unbelievable book. Um, I'm going to send it to you. You'll absolutely love it. We we mentioned discipline and obviously a big part of your story um, is you do things differently, which is why I think you've had a massive impact. You'll hear the question from my daughter soon on especially young people, but the challenges you set yourself fascinate me, <laughs> fascinate me. Um, tell me ab- about what you call them and, and what do they do for you before what they are? What do they do for you in the ring? Yeah, so when I was 2018, just after the Commonwealth Games, we um we did this program called the Gold Medal Ready Program and it was with... The Australian Institute of Sport and the gold uh, and the um, the Commander Regiment, the Army, and they put us through three days of just hard work. It was I love hard work, but those three days were very full on and treading water for ninety minutes, fully closed and stuff like that. It was wow. really testing us mentally, <clears throat> but we learned in that the biggest thing I learned from those three days was get comfortable being uncomfortable, and you want to grow as an athlete. So just so people get that, it's get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, and that's coming from people who go to war. Yes. Um, the most vulnerable state you can be as a human is going to war. And, um, yeah, they, we learned a lot. And and from that day, um, I started – that was end of 2018, but from that day since the start of 2019, January 2019, I've been doing a challenge once a month um, for, for the last, what's that, three, four years. Um, and, yeah, it's been amazing, a lot of fun. Um, there's been some challenges that have been really challenging um, and some challenges that have just been a bit of fun and, and also still made me uncomfortable. But um, watching my growth and as a person – more so than an athlete has been amazing. I've obviously improved a lot as a yep. boxer in that time as well, but it's um it's just exciting. You mean know? so I heard this famous quote, it's um I actually don't know who it's by, but it, there's no proof in this world to prove that this life is serious. Hmm. You know I mean and, and often as hmm. humans we're so focused and I can't talk, I'm an athlete, I'm focused hmm. on results and, and, and goals, but to do something once a month that's outside of boxing that I know will also improve my boxing in my life. It's it's just it's just a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So it's it's a great thing because um, and I appreciate it. The first thing you walk in here when we met, you you asked me about my children. I see my children aged eleven now and thirteen have to go through something uncomfortable three times a month because they're hitting the first 
whatever it is, facing their first bouncer in the nets, giving their first speech in front of school, having to put it on the line in a cross country, going to a new school, which my young fellow is about to do. And they, 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 they become so accustomed to it, it doesn't seem a challenge. And then as we get older, um, I'm interested people listening to this, if they actually ask themselves, when were they last truly uncomfortable? I think a lot of people would have problems answering that question. Yeah, I personally think it's it's actually human behaviour. I think I've really I've really pondered this because I've I've caught myself. It's a good word, pondered. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, but yeah, I've really thought about that. As humans, it's our, our our duty. I think on this earth is to survive. We're survival beings, and I think any area that we can get comfortable so we don't have to exert energy for survival, then we will. Yes. And that's why the Western world is so expansive and a lot of the time we're chilling at home and it's just very, we need to be in our safe space. In our, we don't want to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations, but I truly believe the places where you'll grow are the places where you're most uncomfortable. And, and Ned Brockman, the great man, oh, Ned Brockman, yes. he, what would get comfortable being uncomfortable yes. is the thing that he, his slogan for the run. And, and I truly believe that if, if, and for some people it would be different. I mean, we, I actually don't know what will make you uncomfortable. A, a lot of things are very similar. Like public speaking is a pretty common one. Dance class is a common one. Um, but yeah, it could be, it could be as little as having a conversation with someone you love and, and expressing exactly how you're feeling or, um, or something like that. It could be a, a vulnerable one like that. But I've found myself, uh, anyone who listens to this that have got any ideas, feel, feel free to message send me. Send them through. Send them through because it's been four years and I'm actually really, there's still a few things on the list of things to do. Uh, but yeah, the, the, more, the more ideas, the better. So give me some examples where you have been really uncomfortable. 50 hours no talking was a was a was a challenging one. 50 hours no talking. You're yeah. a man that likes to talk. Yeah, yeah I love to talk. Did you lock yourself away from people? It was prior to the Olympics. So I was through a, an Olympic preparation. The only time I could talk, so it was about four weeks prior to the, the Tokyo Olympics um, and we were in Japan at the time. And the only time I could talk was to my coach during a training session. That's the only time I could talk in that 50 hours, but that was only during sparring. Any other time I didn't talk. So it was super challenging. And probably the th every challenge I learned something new from about myself yep. or about the world. And what I realized is that I take up a lot of space because I'm, I feel very comfortable to talk and I express my energy through talk. And um, what I found in that was when I shut my mouth, other people, the wallflowers in the group, they had to fill the space they then had an opportunity to talk. And from that day, I found myself, catch myself going, Harry, you're talking too much. So then I pull back hmm. and try my best to give other people the opportunity or bring them in myself saying, hey, if they look a bit sort of on the outskirts or something like that, try and bring them into the conversation. And, and, and yeah, like every challenge is different. Some are harder than others, but yeah, each one I learned something new from. There's a theory that, again, I'm not good with my quotes, but there's a theory that when you're talking, you can't be learning which I enjoy. Okay, so no talk for 50 hours. Give me another example. Um, 13 hours straight on a stationary bike in quarantine. That was challenging. Um, 13 hours straight on a bike? On a bike, yeah, just kept going. Yeah, it was, that, was, that was more so physical. I did 100Ks in the sand um, last month, but some the physical ones personally. Although 100Ks in the sand? On the sand, on Bondi Beach, yeah. It was, um, what do you mean, walking? Running. Running. Yeah. yeah, it took 13 hours, yeah. 100K. 100K. Up and down. Up and down, From North yeah. Bondi to South Bondi. Yeah, it's about 950 metres, so. 
110, 120. Oh, the Achilles are the worst. Yeah, <laughs> they're still recovering. Right. That was a few weeks ago. But right. um, physical feats, like we're athletes. I love pushing myself. There's a beauty in that. Of course, I wanted to give up and I wanted to you know, throw the towel in. But you know, to finish it was amazing. But I think personally, that the ones for me where I'm most uncomfortable, most vulnerable, is having the conversations with the people you love. Like if if. Me and my dad were in a bad spot for a, for a very, very long time. Um, me coming of age and, and sort of challenging him on everything that he said and, and him going through a son battling with drug addiction and him also finding um, purpose outside of his family and stuff like that. Many things played into that moment. But to um, one of my first challenges I did, I think it was in June of 2019, so about six months in, was, um, yeah, was sit down with my dad and have a, have a conversation. And it was- How did you bring it up with him? I wrote on a card, it was, it was about a week before his birthday, and I wrote on a card saying, I can't remember the exact words, but it was you mean, like, let's sort it out, let's go have um, breakfast or a coffee and let's sort this out. And, and when I gave it to him, you mean, I, I said, I miss my dad. That's what I said, I miss my dad. Um, and his bottom lip just quivers, oh, it always no. does. And, and oh, no. yeah, it was, it was a beautiful moment. And we just went and spoke and we realized that like we were just arguing about different things and, and because we weren't communicating properly. But um, yeah, that was beautiful. Another one was no technology for a month. That was a, that was a tough one. That would be hard. Yeah, no phone, no watch, no laptop, uh, no TV. Before. Did you miss it? I found myself not feeling very connected, which is a weird thing. I feel like more young people are going to feel like that. Um, I found myself not not connected to my mates. I found myself having to go to their house the old fashioned way and they might not be home and a lot of the time they weren't home. Um, so I felt a bit disconnected, um, but then also realizing that social media, um, yeah, it just also is, you, you might feel connected, but like, do you actually need to have your notifications on? There's so many things about social media that you could probably adapt a little bit. Um, uh, how do you reckon your dad walked away from the conversation you had with you? Like it's normally, if you follow the stereotypes, which you obviously do not do, he's coming to you and saying, Harry, we need to sit down. Mm. Yeah, it was – I found myself throughout throughout my life, and I'm not trying to big note myself here, but it's that I've always tried to sort of throw out the olive branch myself or, or you mean, um, I probably in the last few years you sort of – once you get rejected enough times, when you're a kid, you can get away with it. Once you get rejected enough times, then you've got to overcome the fear of that. Um, you mean, but when I was younger, probably from um, you mean maybe 14 to, to 21, I would always be trying to patch relationships up, friendships up. Um, you mean family relationships up. Um, so yeah, it was to have that and reach out the olive branch myself. And and my dad is just a super loving, caring man. He. He, I know he loves us more than he loves himself. Um, he just has a weird way of showing it sometimes. <laughs> it's, I was, um, and you know, it's, it's remarkable depth of understanding from you when you don't have kids. I was on New Year's Eve we were with some local friends, Cam and Eva Don, great people, local Barwon Heads people, and they've got a son, Taji boy, um, who I've seen at the cricket club since he was eight. He's now fifteen, and he's going out with his mates on New Year's Eve. And as he walked out, we were having a barbecue. His dad said, take it easy, mate. And he said, love your dad. And it just, I thought to myself, as a parent, if my son at 15 says he loves me as he walks out the door, when people ask what do you want to achieve as a parent, I reckon that's it. Mm. So it's pretty special that you can go to your old man and tee that up. Yeah, it's... um me and my dad always have little special moments now. I never saw him cry up 
up until the age, I think it was about 17, um, the Reach Foundation, massive part of my story. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it or you're listening. Jimmy Stein's. Yeah, Jimmy Stein's explain Foundation. It, explain it though. Yeah, it's a youth organization um, and they mostly operate from 12-year-olds to about 18-year-olds. Um, they go to a lot of school workshops. They do camps on, on weekends and stuff like that, community engagement programs. But they come to my school when I was 16 and, and in that time I was at a point where I was at a bit of a crossroads. Do I continue with boxing? Had a lot of... I didn't have a lot of success and am I good enough? All these thoughts. Um, all my mates started you know, partying on the weekends and stuff like that. You mean, do I go down that path? Um, but yeah, they entered my life at that time at the crossroads and the universe works in a weird, wonderful way. And, and they truly changed the trajectory of my life. And I think a year after being involved with them, I won my first nationals and, and, and yeah, the rest is history, I guess. But um, one of the first ones that we had the training session, one of the first training sessions I went to, they, they, they said, all right, we're going to leave this stage open. There's about 50 crew members there from Reach. And they said, if you feel this feeling in your gut of uncomfortableness, the butterflies, um, you can get up and do anything you want. You can sing a song. You could call someone and tell them you love them. You could, you could do anything. The stage is yours. But if you feel that feeling, that's a sign that you need to get up. And I was sitting there going, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's my first one. I feel like it's a bit of initiation. So yeah. I got up and I, um, my family don't really tell each other we love them, but we all know. And I called my mom and I told her I loved her. And it was just an amazing moment to, to say that to the ones you love. My mom did reply saying, are you all good? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was just a beautiful moment. And I, I'm so grateful I met the Reach Foundation. That is the end of Harry Garside Part A. Do not... Whatever you do, be missing. Part B.